This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. A bit later on in the show, about one hour from now, we're going to talk housing and the various announcements that have been made in Vancouver. Is there anything really new in the announcements, talking about affordable rentals, building that housing stock, trading some incentives to developers to make sure the rentals are long-term affordable. Already some cracks in that policy, though, if you look back at earlier attempts. So we'll open up the phone lines and get that conversation going. But first, for the next half an hour, we're going to talk a little bit about the transport of oil products, be it by pipeline, be it by rail, or be it via tanker. Three forms, a divisive topic in this province, to say the least. But a new report shows some new numbers when it comes to safety and transporting the products. Ken Green joins us on the line now. He is the Senior Director at the Centre for Natural Resource Studies with the Fraser Institute. Ken Green, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me on. Uh, talk a little bit about this report. It's always uh, There's always a debate when we're talking about pipelines and tankers and the moving of oil and gas, petroleum products. So what exactly were you looking at in this report? Well, this report's the latest in a series we've done, examining the difference in safety uh, between moving, as you said, moving oil by a pipeline, moving that same amount of oil by rail, and then loading it onto tankers and sending it off to foreign markets, all of which are, are goals that ostensibly Canada has, uh, and government policies are influencing. So we got government data on how many accidents there are and how much oil is spilled by by the modes uh, and did an analysis of which mode is basically safer than the other. And what we found, essentially, is that it's uh, you're two and a half times more likely to actually release oil to the environment if you move that oil by rail than you are if you move that same quantity of oil by pipeline. And so pipelines are still the safest land way, uh, land-based way of moving uh, oil uh, compared to rail or and, and other analyses. The states have, have included trucks in that as well. Um, but uh, what we found was surprising is tankers actually have had a remarkable record. We've, we've actually, uh, over the last couple of decades, doubled the amount of oil being moved in tankers on the ocean, the marine tankers. And yet the spill volumes have dropped 98%. So it's really, if you were to make a graph of this in terms of spill volumes and, and oil moves, it would look like an X, which is you know sort of the exact uh, an anti-correlation. The more we move, the better we get at it. Um, so um, that, that's what we were looking at. We're, what we're trying to do here is simply to inform the debate, because as the U.S. State Department and others have pointed out, a decision not to build a pipeline is a decision to move the same that volume of oil by rail. Uh, a decision not to, to use it domestically is a decision to probably export it internationally on tankers. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that everybody understood the consequences of choice, both their choice in terms of, of how they instruct their government and the government's cho- the choices, the consequences they'll face when their governments make decisions that may or may not be uh, in their best interest on net. Uh, and w- whenever we talk about this, kind of the the choices of either going by pipeline or by not building a pipeline leading to more product being shipped by rail. There's the debate or the question about the the type of the product. And the argument is often made that by rail, the bitumen is so thick that even if there is a derailment or an accident, it doesn't actually spill. Is there truth to that? There, there, is, there is some truth to that. Now, there are a small number of, of um, companies that are shipping bitumen 
what's called either neat or um, undiluted, basically. But they, they, they do so in special cars that keep the bitumen somewhat heated. Now, if that car was to derail and leak, yes, the bitumen would, would revert to solidity very quickly or, or semi-solid state very quickly. Um, but the heating of the cars and the special handling needed makes that a more expensive way to ship, which is why it's not the dominant way. I mean, if, if that were the, the most cost-effective way to ship bitumen, nobody would ever have thought of putting diluent into it, diluting um, hydrocarbons into it to make it runnier. They would have just put it into rail cars and shipped it the way it was. Um, the problem is it's, it, it takes heat at both ends to actually remobilize it, uh, whereas at, at, when you add when you dilute it, um, you only need to you basically do that once, and then it's very easy to pull the diluent out at the end of the refinery stage and, and sell it again. So it recycles, basically. All right. Uh, I want to talk more about uh, the uh, the numbers that you've put or in this study when it comes to tanker travel, because I think people will always remember the Exxon Valdez and remember that big changes were made after that spill. When you say, though, that that the the spill rate or the it's down 98 uh, percent, the concern in B.C. is the Kinder Morgan project. And the concern is the increase in tankers that we would see if that project goes ahead. Uh, what do you say to people who still make that argument that by increasing tankers in our ports, in our waters. There is an increase, there's a higher increase on then, of then tankers either running into each other, running into bridges, or being involved in an accident and a spill. Well, what I would say is, is that um, the, the concern is certainly understandable. I, I was growing up when the Val, Exxon Valdez um, uh, hit, the, hit the beach, and uh, I, was, I was watching television with everybody else, uh, avidly or with horror watching what happened as a, as a result of the spill. And, and we're all happy that the technologies improved the double-hull tankers and things like that. But what I would say to the people who are, who are concerned about an increase in traffic is that it's reasonable to be concerned and reasonable to take step or more steps to improve safety even still. But the evidence we have now over decades shows that you can increase your tanker traffic safely. Right? You can increase the t- tanker traffic and actually decrease um, the risk of uh, risk and the volume of spills over time, and, and that's not speculation. That's what we've seen. So there's no reason to think that uh, we've reached the end of progress. That we can't go ahead with better technology and do even better than this. Because no spills uh, are good spills, right? We, we want, we all want, would like zero or as close to zero as we can humanly get. But uh, and the, the, uh, there's no reason to think we can't get there. And the, the plans for the, the Kinder Morgan uh, pipeline include a significant expansion in safety for tank, tanker safety plans. Um, so each tanker, with, with, when it's within range of, the, uh, of any kind of landfall, would have two tugs attached to it, one of them powered up full-time. Full uh, they have to have their own fire mitigation uh, technology on board. There's, they have to pre-stage um, more containment and, and fire control and repair facilities along the, the shoreline. They have, they're going to improve the, the GPS and tracking and radar systems so they'll know exactly where things are. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think while I lived in BC, I lived in Vancouver for, for three years. Um, I, I love the Pacific Ocean. I love the beaches. But, and I share the concerns. But, again, we have to rely in this case on evidence. The evidence is that we can do this. Humans have learned how to transport this, uh, transport oil, which powers the world's, uh, almost all of the world's transportation. Um, safely and efficiently, uh, and at, at a reasonable at a cost people can afford to, to um, so they have the transportation they need to, to live a qual- higher quality of life. Um, 
And uh, I think that needs to be the primary goal, is giving Canadians, both present and future generations, a high quality of life. And a lot of that includes mobility. I guess where it comes to, it's the optics of it, and it's what people see. Because if you even look back a couple of years, when we had the Marathasa, which was anchored off English Bay or in the water, and it spilled bunker fuel, the response to that was anything but stellar. It took 13 hours or something. It took a long time until crews were there. I think in the end, they only recovered about half of the bunker fuel that was spilled. So I think for some people, it might be that even though the research is there that you've done showing how safe it is now, we still, when we're put to the test, it does doesn't seem that we have the response people would like. There's, there's something to that, although, again, I mean, it, it, it's unfortunate that the media is not good at drawing distinctions. Bunker fuel, for example, um, is very different than crude oil. Right? Bunker fuel will evaporate into the air very, very quickly. It poses a, a much, much lower threat to ecosystems and organisms than a heavier oil would because they don't evaporate necessarily. Um, and, of course, every ship runs, almost all ships run on, on bunker fuel. Diesel fuel is what powers most marine traffic. Um, the alternative to it is, is, is gasoline, I suppose, or, uh, or nuclear, if you're military. But most, most of it is, is run on diesel, which means they have a very large tank of diesel fuel in order to get them across oceans. And sometimes something punches a hole in one of those ships, or a fire breaks out, as I believe happens with the one you're talking about. Um, and um, and there's, a, there's a spill of, of, uh, of bunker fuel. Again, this is a complicated issue because people are not really environmentally or scientifically literate when it comes to these things. They probably don't know, for example, that off the Pacific Coast, you have natural oil seeps that, that produce globs of oil that wash up on the shore. I stepped in them many, many times when I was only seven or eight years old living in Los Angeles uh, on the beach, and, and they weren't drilling anywhere in the, in the, in the vicinity. There were no offshore rigs anywhere in the vicinity. Um, so, so the oil is a natural thing in the oceans, and, and the oceans are pretty adapted to the surface that to deal with it. But even more importantly, again, uh, the nature of the hydrocarbon is a critical issue. If, if you were to, if you put uh, propane, let's say you have, you have a, a liquid natural or liquid natural gas, you put it into water, it's going to pop right out of the water into the air almost. And so, different kinds of oil and different kinds of um, leaks in different places all have different effects. Ken, we'll have to leave it there. We're out of time, but thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. That was Ken Green. He is the Senior Director, Center for Natural Resource Studies at the Fraser Institute. We'll talk more about the report and get some reaction to that when we return. Stick with us right here on News Talk 980 CKNW. We were just talking about some new numbers in a report taking a look at safety records when it comes to uh, transporting petroleum products. And for more reaction to this, we are joined now by uh, Peter McCartney. He is a climate campaigner with the Wilderness Committee. Peter, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hey, Jill. Thanks for having me. Uh, What is your response? So when we take a look at this, uh, we'll start first with the comparison to pipeline versus rail, saying that pipeline is, in fact, a much safer way to transport these goods. I mean, I think when you look at the, my first reaction to the report was that pipelines move way more oil than, than rail. Um, so when we're talking about the safety of the two, to compare it based on the amount that they move, um, even, you know, building a, building a pipeline that would move an order of magnitude more than rail is not, you can't compare the two of, um, where the rail would potentially spill versus the pipeline would potentially spill. We know that pipelines spill 
Um, and we've seen it on the North Saskatchewan recently last summer. And uh, we know that the Kinder Morgan pipeline has spilled 82 times since 1961. So despite the fact that they move an incredible amount of oil, I think this study really kind of skews the the perception that um, that they're any safer. Uh, even though when looking at, and I get what you're saying, it's a different, it's a different amount, clearly, that's, that's by the two different modes. Uh, but taking a look at pipelines as well, talking about the spills and that the occurrences in pipeline spills generally are much more often at the facility, not the pipeline itself, and spill less than one cubic meter. Well, I think you can see that even spills that are at the facility, I mean, the facility in... Uh on Burnaby Mountain is at the tank farm that's right next to Forest Grove neighborhood. Um, the facility in Westridge Terminal is next to our beautiful Burrard Inlet, where in 2007 um, uh, a construction crew was given bad information by Kinder Morgan and lit uh, hundreds of thousands of liters of, um, of crude oil out and covered 11 houses, had to evacuate the whole neighborhood. So, you know, just because... Um, Oil is more likely to take place. Uh, an oil spill is more likely to take place at a facility. Doesn't mean that it's any safer for the community surrounding it. But the argument is often, though, with the less capacity on pipelines, leads to more petroleum, more product being moved by rail. Um, I would suppose you could take from this uh, the argument that uh, if it is safer to move by pipeline, then why not do that rather than shifting it to more movement on rail? Well, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because that, you know, the whole conversation around rail versus oil is just a bit of a red herring. It's something that um, proponents of pipelines trot out, but there's just no evidence that that's the case. Um, You can see that rail is actually a very poor stopgap measure that companies have been using in the lieu of pipeline capacity. But in the last few years, as the price of oil has gone down, um, the amount of oil moving through BC by rail has absolutely plummeted to the point where there's only one company that's doing it anymore. Um, so really, I mean, this is the idea that people are going to be greenlighting new tar sands projects based on the assumption that they're going to move all of this by oil is just, it's, it's not the case. And so uh, I, I don't think it's really fair to, to assume that uh, oil that's not coming through a pipeline would come through rail. Uh, the report also takes a look at tankers, which is a big issue here in BC. Uh, it takes a look at major spills in the past and the safety of tankers, and and says that since the mid '90s, there's not been a major, a single major spill from oil tankers or any other vessels in Canadian waters. It actually, says that they are in fact quite safe. Uh, how do you respond to that? Well, I'm not really sure what they consider a major spill, but uh, the diesel barge that went down up near Bella Bella last fall came to mind with me. I mean that. That may not have qualified under their definition, but it certainly put the Hiltzuk's uh, clam beds at risk and um, and really took a real blow to an ecosystem up there that uh, that couldn't sustain it. So um, you, we know that uh, oil tankers are, by putting seven times the amount of oil tankers through our bay, we're increasing that amount of risk by seven times. And the city of Vancouver puts the risk of an oil, a major oil spill over 2,000 litres in Burrard Inlet over the next 50 years at 79 to 87%. So it's a, it's a virtual certainty that if uh, this pipeline goes forward, that there will be a spill in Burrard Inlet at some point. Uh, do you think it's fair, though, to compare a diesel spill and an oil spill? Well, I mean, 
I think that uh, an oil spill obviously has much more catastrophic consequences, but um, a diesel spill as well was, you know, the, the fishing communities up there were not able to harvest. Um, the entire uh, economic livelihood was ruined for the winter. So um, I, I do think that what the Hiltzik spill showed us is that these things happen, um, you know, bad weather, and, uh, and often human error, it, it only takes one bad day for this to happen. And I think what we need to look at is what's the, what is, uh, what are we putting at risk here? And an oil spill here in the Salish Sea would just be an absolute disaster. And, um, and it's just not worth it for, uh, for the export that, that they want to do for a resource that really we shouldn't be exporting more of. And how do do you come up with the numbers that it is a certainty that there would be a spill of that size? That uh, I wouldn't say a certainty, but it's a near certainty. Um, that came from the city of Vancouver's report uh, into the potential for a spill in the Burrard Inlet. Um, obviously, we already we already had a spill that made it into the Burrard Inlet back in 2007, and so uh, the increased likelihood there uh, that comes straight from the city of Vancouver. Because if you look at too, and not just going from this report, but looking at the fact that there are oil tankers on these waters, be them in Canadian waters and U.S. waters, and we and, and we certainly haven't seen spills. There hasn't been an issue uh, for quite some time. No, that's that's definitely the case. Um, there there are oil tankers moving through the Salish Sea. Uh, but expanding the number of oil tankers from Kinder Morgan's terminal by seven through the second narrows, um, you know, where they where the water level is only right that they can move through once a day or twice a day, sorry. Um, you know, it just it creates a much, much greater risk portfolio for this uh, this specific project. And um, it's it's just not something that I think we we should be doing on the West Coast. It's uh our our sustainable industries like tourism and seafood um, these things rely on on a coast that doesn't uh, that doesn't have any oil spills on it so an oil spill here would just be devastating uh, what about the fact though and even looking at the latest economic numbers with a bit of a rebound in the oil and gas industry and the fact that our economy about 20% of our economy depends on it i mean it's Twenty percent of our economy. I'm not sure where you're getting that number, but uh, I, I believe, from what I've heard, that the oil sands contribute to uh, about two percent of GDP. Obviously, this is an industry that um, it, it is performing, and like there's a, especially in Alberta, a lot of people that rely on it. But the truth is that this industry has no long-term future, even if it's rebounded slightly in the past month or so. Um, basically, what's happened now is that. Canadian oil sands producers are just doubling down and hoping that oil stays above $50 a barrel. But with improvements in electric cars and battery technology coming, there's there's just no way that this uh, that this industry can continue to sustain itself like it has in Canada. Um, the, the places that we want to sell this oil, China and India, India wants to go 100% renewable electric vehicles by 2030. Um, China is putting mandates for where, how much electric cars they want and scaling up um, and requiring companies to sell them. So it, it, it's not going to be long before 
these uh, these markets don't want our oil. And to be honest, I think that's already happening today. All right, Peter, we'll have to leave it there. We're right out of time. But I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much. Hey, you bet. Thanks so much for having me, Jill. That is uh, Peter McCartney. He is a climate campaigner with the Wilderness Committee. Your thoughts on what you've heard in the past half hour? You can give the Buzz line a call, 604-331-BUZZ. That is 604-331-2899. You can text or leave a voicemail message there as well. We'll take a break. Your major news to 8 o'clock is up next. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW.